give proper recognition to those widows who really are in need. I thought that was a great prayer Richard prayed, that I'd have confidence to teach what the Bible says this evening, and we'd all have uh, ears to hear and would be willing to change as we hear God's word. Because I think this passage tonight addresses quite a controversial question. One I'd expect that in the church family here we'd have a range of views on, uh, and actually churches around us I'd expect would have a range of views on this topic. And the question is, on the first slide, uh, the question is, what responsibility does the church have to care for people who are in material need? Uh, I've been reading a book as I've been preparing for this talk called Generous Justice uh, by Tim Keller. It's a very helpful book on this topic, uh, and I'd commend it to you. It addresses some of the bigger issues than we have time to go into tonight in a bit more detail. But just to set us up, I want to read a story that Keller tells uh, about his church uh, and an issue that he had to address in this area. Keller says, When I was a young pastor at my first church in Virginia, a single mother with four children began attending our services. It became clear very quickly that she had severe financial problems, and several people in the church proposed that we try to help her. I pointed out that historically church deacons had given aid in exactly these circumstances. So the deacons visited her and offered to give her church funds for several months, to help her pay off outstanding bills. She happily accepted. Three months later, it came out that instead of paying her bills with the money that we'd been giving her, she'd spent it on sweets and junk food, had gone out to restaurants with her family multiple times, and had bought each child a new bike. Not a single bill had been paid, and she needed more money. One of the deacons was furious. No way do we give her any more, he said to me. This is the reason she's poor. She's irresponsible, driven by her impulses. That was God's money, and she wasted it. Keller says he countered with some passages from the Bible on doing justice for the fatherless and the needy. But that's the Old Testament, the deacon said, and argued that today it was Christian's job to spread the good news about Jesus. Christians should not be concerned about poverty and social conditions but about saving souls. I wonder what you make of what that deacon thought. Christians should not be concerned about poverty and social conditions, but about saving souls. I guess that's the question that's going to come up more and more in Kirkpatrick, as we try and be a church that is fit for purpose, that tries to reach out uh, into our area and bring the message of the gospel uh, to people. The question is, do we see a needy person asking the church for help as an opportunity to show God's love or as a potential black hole to get sucked into. And I reckon there's probably people who'd answer uh, one way or the other on that question uh, here this evening. Uh, tonight's passage that we're looking at is a very nitty-gritty practical one. It's basically addressing the first century uh, uh, version of those kinds of questions. It's all about widows in the church family and how to look after them. And I think the answer that this passage gives us is a bit of both. Uh, needy people asking the church for help is an opportunity to show God's love, but it is also a potential black hole. And this passage gives us some principles for navigating through uh, that kind of situation. Um, as I, I said earlier, that we're kicking off the first part of a new section of 1 Timothy tonight, and the header for that new section is actually in verses 1 and 2. So let's just look at those to get the context before we move into the main part of the passage. Uh, so chapter 5, verse 1. 
Do not rebuke an older man harshly, Paul says to Timothy, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Timothy's being told that he needs to relate to different people within the church differently, appropriately, to kind of who they are. But the thing we need to notice is that he has to relate to them like they're family members. So, for example, relate to older women like mothers, with all the respect and the care that that implies. And the principle underlying this, then, is that the church is a kind of an extended family. It's God's family, and we relate to each other in the church like we relate to family. And this next section is going to be all about how the church can relate to each other uh, differently as God's family and show the kind of proper respect and honour that different family members should have. And if you remember what I was saying from that recap a second ago, the big question we should be asking is how does this help us to promote the gospel? How will this help us to be a church that is fit for purpose? Uh, And so the question that this passage is asking us is how can we uh, relate to people in our church family in a way that will promote the gospel? And particularly with this stuff about widows, how can we care for people with material needs in such a way that it will promote the gospel? Well, I think this passage gives us two big principles uh, to guide us. Uh, and the first one is uh, the first. Uh, skip it, yeah, brilliant. Well done, Colin. Um, we must honour those in need within our church family. So that's the first big principle. You can see that there in the, in the two verses that begin and end this passage. So have a look at verse 3. Paul says, Give proper recognition to those widows who really are in need. And then the end of verse 16, he summarises, So that the church can help those widows who really are in need. That's the one big, very clear message from this passage. The church must help widows within the family who are in need. Paul says give proper recognition, and that basically has kind of financial overtones. It means giving financial support to widows who need it in the church family. Uh, The rest of the passage is really just a detailed policy on how the church should go about doing that in the right way. And we'll look at that uh, in in a moment. But if you're more on the kind of, the church is just about preaching the gospel end of things, you may say, well, great, we should be caring for widows, I can see that. But why? Surely this is going to be a distraction from the main job of preaching the gospel. And if you're more on the, we should be showing God's love to everyone kind of end, you may be thinking, why is the emphasis so much on these widows within the church family? Why not everyone? Well, Paul doesn't give an explicit reason, uh, but he does give us a clue uh, in verse 8. So have a look at that with me. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. (coughs) That verse is a verse about the natural, physical family. And what Paul's saying is that one thing that we all expect a family to do, whether we're Christians or not Christians, is care for each other. We expect children to care for their parents when they become old. If they don't do that, that's pretty shocking, both to Christians and to non-Christians. And so as the church, if we don't care for those people who are in need in our family, that too will be pretty shocking to people outside the church. They'll think, all this talk about God's love that you Christians come out with, don't really see it in practice when it comes down to it. 
Church family needs to care for people within our congregation, our family, just like normal human families do. And actually, this isn't a new idea in the Bible. If you put this passage in the context of the whole Bible story, uh, God has always wanted his covenant family uh, to be a place where the materially needy, people like widows, are cared for. It's part of a concept uh, called justice. Uh, It means giving people what is right in all areas of life. Uh, And widows are one of the classic examples that the Bible keeps coming back to, to say these are people who are likely to need your help. Uh, because they're not going to get justice on their own. You're going to have to help them with this. So, for example, in Isaiah, God says to his people, Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Within God's people, that's what people should have been doing. They should have been looking after people like the widow and the oppressed and pleading their case so that God's people would be a place where there was justice. And so when Paul's saying... You guys in Ephesus need to look after your widows. He's not saying anything new. He's saying, do what God has always told his people to do. And if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that the reason God wants his people to do this is so that there'll be a kind of a light to the nations. Uh, There'll there'll be a kind of an advert for the gospel. They'll show the world that God's ways are good. And it's great to belong to his people. That's what Israel were meant to be. Is what the church is meant to be too. We're meant to be the pillar and foundation of the truth that holds up the gospel to the world and shows people it's really good. And part of that will mean that the church needs to be a place where the materially needy are really well looked after. The book of Acts, uh, just immediately at the beginning of the church, uh, paints some wonderful pictures of what a church that does this looks like. <coughs> Uh, It says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owed lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And so, as God's family here at Church Patrick, uh, let's hear this with its full weight. We must give proper recognition to those people among us who are in need, materially, physically, emotionally. Uh, most of us will know people who, need, who have the responsibility of caring for elderly uh, or infirm parents. Uh, In our discipleship, we've got a couple of people in that situation. Uh, And I know that they find it really tough. It's often really difficult to do that. But you can tell from the time that they just put in doing that, that they really love their parents. And they feel that responsibility to care for them. And that's a really beautiful thing to see. And that provides us with a picture of how the church should be. Us here, we should be like that with those people among us who are in need. We should almost be on our hands and knees in the mess, caring about the stuff that's actually difficult for people. Uh, It will be tough, but it will be a beautiful thing for people around us to see that we really do love one another in God's family. And that means that we can't actually just oppose evangelism and social care uh, within the church. Now they are distinct activities, uh, but they're not in opposition. They actually should be mutually supporting each other. 
Uh, the gospel creates a community, a family, that relates to each other in a way that nobody else does. Uh, but doing social care well will promote that gospel. It will mean that the gospel looks more attractive and bring more people into that family. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we were a church where people with physical and material needs were incredibly well looked after? Now, I don't think it's my job um, as a preacher uh, to tell you who those people are. I think many of you will have much more wisdom on that than I will. And I think that's our congregation, job as a congregation to really figure this out. Uh, one of the challenges, I guess, though, is that in our time, the government has taken up a lot of the slack uh, in terms of caring for people with material need. Uh, but now, for example, most widows in our congregation won't be completely destitute. They'll have some kind of money coming in from the government. Uh, and that means, I think, that we just need to work extra hard at being distinctive in the way that we care for people in need. Maybe one of the ways we can do that is just by being very relational and really loving and caring for people, rather than just giving people a kind of a, a handout, like the government kind of does. What would it be like for us as a church here to be a place where we didn't look down on people uh, who couldn't afford the latest gadget or the nicest threads, but really welcomed in the materially and practically needy? And showed people that they were really valued as part of our community. <coughs> I was thinking about some of the implications for this uh, on the ministry team. I think this means that we mustn't get so excited about opportunities to share the gospel that we don't do a good job of looking after people well. But at the end of the day, that isn't particularly the role of the ministry team. We saw last week that uh, Christos' job in particular is to train us all to, for godliness. And then as a congregation, we'll have to then live that out. And that means that it's all of our jobs to care for those who are in material need. I think one of the reasons that it often does fall to the ministry team to be carrying out this kind of work is because in modern life we're not that in touch with each other. If we're young, we often live quite fragmented, very busy lives. We have responsibilities in all kinds of different areas, including to our own families, but in other ways as well. And perhaps if we're older, it can be quite easy to become isolated and to not and sort of withdraw from the community and not really let people know how you're finding things. But if this is going to work, if we are going to be this kind of community that is showing people what it looks like to really care for each other, we're going to actually have to all take responsibility for doing this. It means we're going to have to be quite open with each other, I think, and honest and say if we've got problems, and actually not be shy of asking for help if we need it. And it means that if we, if we find that there is a situation where somebody does need help, we're going to have to work out what we might need to drop in order to help people. Now the passage is going to go on and say that our first priority must be to look after our own families. There's something right about that. But we do all carry many other responsibilities, and maybe they're not as important as this job of looking after our church family. Well, we can't care individually for everyone, uh, and it's right that we allocate some people within the church to do that uh, especially well. And so I'm really grateful for the committee, uh, and particularly the, the uh, Mercy and Service Subcommittee, whose particular role it is uh, to actually coordinate some of the larger scale versions of this kind of activity. So we should pray for them. I'm also really excited uh, about the discipleship groups. They're a brilliant way of trying to connect up some of the older and younger people in our church family so that hopefully those groups will become aware more of each other's needs 
but also of the needs of people in the congregation who can't come to the discipleship group, but who live locally in that area. And so it's really great to see that those groups are going to have that responsibility to look after people around them. And if you're in one of those groups, this passage, I think, is a good reminder that it's not all about going out there with the gospel. One of the key roles, and actually a really important role, is that we do look after uh, people in our church family who are in need. Uh, so let's make sure we do, do that well and be praying about that. Uh, just briefly, a second thing that I think we can learn from this passage in terms of how we go about doing this is that it's actually okay to write a policy. Uh, obviously, relationships with each other should be organic, but Paul basically picks up his pen and now writes quite a detailed policy on how to care for people. And we shouldn't be shy of doing that. It's okay to sit down and think through really hard how are we going to make sure that people in our church family get cared for well. Well, what we're going to do now for our second point is look at the details of that policy. Uh, so here's my heading for the next point. Um, we mustn't allow the church family to be burdened with care for the wrong people. So have a look at verse 16. Uh, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who really are in need. If you look at the details of Paul's policy, the thrust of it is actually that he's quite concerned that the church doesn't get burdened or sidetracked by caring for the wrong people so that it can focus on doing its job. So Paul's policy is actually a guideline on who not to care for. And so what I want us to do now is actually, in our little groups, get into some of the detail of that and really ask ourselves, who is Paul saying that people shouldn't be caring for and why? Uh, the question should be coming up in a second. There we go. So let's have a few minutes in our groups to discuss that. And we'll take some feedback, I think, from this. Okay, let me introduce you there. Does anyone have any thoughts from the passage on who the church should not care for? Uh, so it's not an opportunity for us to kind of say, oh, they shouldn't be caring for those kind of people. Who in the passage does Paul say that the church shouldn't be caring for? Does anyone have any answers? We sort of thought if you were helping people, it was sort of, this says as for younger, whether it was helping people at a very young age, you might overdo it and make them become, go through a lot of lists of things that they could you know, sort of become, and you might actually make them and somehow unproductive or, you know, they might turn to other things if you're, you know, create dependency, maybe, potentially. But yeah, thanks, LJ. That's verse 13, isn't it? Um, it's talking about younger widows and saying they might get idle, and you're saying might kind of create dependency and they're not going to be productive. Yeah, very helpful. Uh, any other thought, any other areas that where Paul says don't help these widows? If they're not really in need, uh, is one of the first things that's um, mentioned yeah. in verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who really are in need. So a little bit of uh, discerning needed there. Yeah. Thanks, brilliant. Um, well, first of all, well, let's take, we'll take a look now at what exactly uh, Paul was saying here. But before we do that, we should just notice that the kind of care that Paul seems to be talking about is being put on a list of widows, verse 9. Uh, that sounds like a kind of quite a formal list of people in the church family uh, who receive regular contributions from the church funds. And there's no mention of any strings attached or anything like that. And the question here is, well, who should be going on that list? And basically, what Paul gives us is a set of tests 
to work out if a widow really is in need, or whether she's not actually in need. And the first test Paul gives us is, is the widow really all alone? Have a look at verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. And Paul says why this matters in verse 7. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The principle is families should care for each other. That's how God has set the world up. And you don't have to be a Christian to recognise that. And when that doesn't happen, everyone will recognise it's wrong. In fact, it's embarrassing to the gospel. It would expose us to blame if people in the church start saying, oh, the church will care for mum. I don't need to. That would mean that we're denying the faith and we're actually worse than unbelievers because everyone knows you should take care of your parents. Uh, and so if, if, the, if uh, a widow does have children who are believers, the church should say with a clear conscience to those children, it's your job to care for your parents. That is what godliness looks like for you. So if we can have, uh, I've put this in a flowchart just to make this look uh, very simple and clear. So you've got an unmarried woman in the church family and the first question you should ask is, well, are there believing children? If there are, then those children are responsible for caring for the widow. Uh, if, there, if there aren't any believing children, well, at that point, the church might consider caring for that widow. But, even if there, aren't children, even if there are no children to care for this widow, that still doesn't mean that the church will automatically then start caring for the widow and providing for them in this way. There's three more tests. So have a look at verse 9. This is what the church now needs to ask itself. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds. And then we get some examples of those good deeds. Uh, bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So the three tests there are, is she, how old is she? Is she over 60? Uh, is she faithful in marriage? Uh, and has she got a good reputation for godliness? It's quite a high bar, isn't it? You can see that in the next slide. Uh, it, these are the questions that the church then needs to ask itself. Uh, the church, you can imagine if the church implements this policy for working out which widows to provide for, it will have had to start saying no quite a lot. It seems quite harsh, doesn't it? But we can see the reason for why Paul is saying this uh, in verse 11. Have a look there. Paul says, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves, because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. 
seems like the tendency in Ephesus was, was for younger widows to marry non-Christians. And so that showed that they weren't, really weren't as dedicated to Christ as they were making out. You know, as soon as a kind of a, a non-Christian man came along, they were off and, you know, were forgetting about the church. And so that would embarrass the church. It would make the church look out to be kind of just funding people uh, who were on the hunt for a spouse. Uh, and then there was a danger that unless the church was careful about who they gave money to, they just end up funding self-indulgent lifestyles. Um, these women in verse 13 who seem to become idle and go about from house to house. And so Paul says, the church, it's not your job to fund those kinds of widows. Uh, instead, they need to re remarry and try and get on with living normal, godly lives. And the reason that this matters to Paul so much is there at the end of verse 14. He says, Give the enemy no opportunity for slander. It would embarrass the church if these widows were being funded to kind of live their self-indulgent lifestyle uh, and then give up following Jesus. Uh, it would make the church look like it's just throwing money at people just to encourage them to chill out. Uh, so here are Margaret and Betty. Uh, they're pagans, and they're having a chat in the butchers in Ephesus. Margaret says, did you hear about that girl Lisa? The girl who became a Christian a few years ago. I heard the Christians have been helping her out ever since Mike died in the army. Yeah, that's the girl. You always used to see her drinking coffee in Nero's with the other Christian girls. They never lifted a finger for anyone. Only now Lisa's hooked up with Black Eyed Brian, and you don't hear her talking about Jesus very much anymore. Well, well, well. Just goes to show you, doesn't it? You know, Betty, this new religion isn't all it's cracked up to be. Can you see how this funding this kind of behaviour would really undermine the church's mission? It wouldn't help the church to promote the gospel in the eyes of the world. The church must not be burdened by caring for the wrong people. If you just flick to the last slide there, Colin. Uh, we've got that there. So the big motive, don't give the enemy any opportunity for slander. So don't fund these widows who are just going to go off and live ungodly lives if you fund them. And then at the top there, uh, we need to make sure that we don't make Christians look like they're worse than everyone else in the world by saying, by just allowing the church to take care of them, rather than making sure that the families take care of them, as is their responsibility. So you can see Paul's motive is for the, for the reputation of the church in the world. Now, for us today, I'm not saying that we should copy and paste this flowchart, and that will determine how we do our policies in caring for people with practical needs today. There are big differences in social conditions between Ephesus and East Belfast today. So we can't just copy and paste it. Um, but the principles will still apply. I think the big principle we need to heed here, heed here is that it is possible to get too carried away by justice and actually end up damaging the church's primary mission, which is to promote the gospel and hold up the truth and show that it's good to the world. There are actually sadly lots of examples of Christian groups who have started out with great motives to care for people and to show God's love to people, who have then lost their focus and have actually ended up just being just another organisation who just looks after people. They've lost their focus on what really matters. This actually means that churches will need to learn to say no. It's actually okay for the church to say no, to refuse to help some people in, in, in certain ways. We need to exercise discernment and work out if this is really going to be something that is right for our church. 
It's not our calling to feed everyone in the entire world, for example. Uh, a second principle is that justice for the church begins at home. Our primary responsibility, responsibility as a local church here is to look after the people in need in our congregation. It's maybe more exciting to think about feeding loads of people uh, in Africa, for example. But actually, we should be looking at uh, the church will be the, sorry, the world will be looking at us and saying, "How are you looking after the people who are actually among you? Are you really caring for them?" Are you overlooking them? We need to make sure that people in our family are provided for. And that means as well, individual families need to take this very seriously as well and make sure that they are making provision to look after their own parents and making sure that we're not leaving uh, elderly parents not looked after. It's not very exciting maybe, is it? It's not maybe the sort of latest thing you're going to write a, a brilliant snappy video about. But it is important for our reputation in the world. Uh, a third principle, final principle, uh, is that godliness ought to be part of how we assess caring for people. Now that sounds quite controversial, because a lot of the time evangelism and social care are kind of quite closely linked. Uh, we'll often, when we go out and reach people, particularly in more deprived areas, we will find ourselves confronted with physical need, and it would often be unloving if we weren't helping people in those situations. And I don't think the passage says that that's wrong. But it is saying that a kind of a long-term, no-strings-attached funding of people, well, if they haven't got a track record of being godly, that is a pretty risky thing for the church to be doing. Because it could mean that we just end up funding people's lifestyles. And everyone's going to look at the church and say, you're basically enabling that person to not have a job so that they can go and do all kinds of whatever deeds that are then embarrassing the church. So the more that the church is caring for people who don't have a track record of godliness, the more I think we should be kind of adding strings onto our care and making sure that we're actually working with people and kind of tying it all quite closely together with work helping them to come to know Christ for themselves and also come to change their lifestyle. We've got to be careful we don't fund self-indulgent lifestyles. Um, let me just close with a, a story at Keller... Told well, the, kind of the conclusion to that story I read at the beginning. Uh, Keller says this, and this, uh, this uh, single mum had not kept her word to us, and we showed her that what she'd done was short-sighted. She needed to get out from under her most urgent debts, like utility bills, rent, and medical fees. Then she needed to have a plan to acquire better skills and a better job. To give her children a better life, she needed a plan and the discipline to carry it out. And we were willing to help her with that longer-term plan if she would work with us responsibly in the near term. She agreed to work with the deacons, and over a longer period of time, the family's life began to improve. I think that's an example of the kind of church care we ought to be exercising as a church. Very discerning care. Care that recognises that... Uh, if we fund people without really thinking through what's going on, we could be bringing the church into disrepute. Well, let me just put all this together then. Social care should and must support the gospel, uh, the church's gospel witness. And so we can't think that the church is just about preaching the gospel. We are a family where material poverty should be relieved. But that love should also be discerning. And it 
should be given with a concern for the church's reputation for promoting godliness. When the church is both caring and wise, the gospel and social concern uh, will go hand in hand. They'll be really united and it will be a great harmonious relationship. We'll be that light to the nations. But if we're not really loving each other or we're not really discerning, then the pillar will start to become shaky. I know that raises loads and loads of practical questions. This is a deep and complicated issue. Uh, if you want to read more, I would certainly commend uh, Tim Keller's book to you on that. It's much more wise than I've been able to be tonight. But we do certainly need wisdom and love as we try to live this out. So shall I lead us in a prayer for that as we close? Our Father, we thank you so much that you have made us into a family here at Kirkpatrick. And we pray that we would live as a family. We pray that we would show real concern to those among us who are in material, physical, emotional need. Please help us to be wise uh, in working out and discerning who those people are uh, and, and really very loving as we try to live that out. And we pray that you'd guide us too as we seek to uh, show your love and bring the gospel message to people outside of our church. We pray too for wisdom and love as we try to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.